Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando coming to you live from our studios here in Washington, D.C. Listen, it's it's a hard day if you're a progressive in America, and I want to hear from you. I have some guests who are joining me to kind of talk this through and do a little bit of an autopsy. There be a there will be a lot of conversation in the weeks and months to come, and we're here to help you figure it out. If you want to join in the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at eight 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 six Leslie. That's eight 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 six five three seven five four three, or you can follow along on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. Well, I'm excited. Because joining me are three distinct leaders in their own space. On the phone, Jesse Moore. He's the vice president for civic engagement at Rock the Vote. You can find him on Twitter at Rock, R-O-C-K, the T-H-E, Vote. Jesse, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? Thanks so much. On joining us in studio, none other than Jessica Brown. She is the co-finder of the project Mine M I N D M I N E Mine the Gap, and she's the former director of Women Ready for Hillary. She's also recently honored as a part of the New Guard of Influential Women by Marie Claire Magazine. You can find her on Twitter at Jessica underscore Grounds G R O U N D S. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Michelle. And last, definitely not least, a friend of the show, always here talking about voting rights and making things more accessible for more people, none other than Marcia Johnson-Blanco. She's the co-director of the Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. You can find her on Twitter at MFJBlanco, B-L-A-N-C-O. Marcia, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. With okay. You. So you guys, today I at least bathed and <laughs> um, got out the bed. Um, but I think as we kind of process the election, three specific things really jumped out for me. Um, one, Marcia, uh, we saw that there were the election administration issues that you talked about before the election. We actually saw them happen. And so what that then meant for voters on the ground. That immediately jumped out for me. When we talk about turnout being depressed, well, if you go and your polling place has three-hour lines, would you stay? Jessica, women's leadership. We finally thought we were at the place where we were going to see that hardest glass ceiling shatter, and we were ready. I will not cry on air today, but... It didn't. And so I really wanted to start a discussion with you about women's leadership. And Jesse, last but definitely not least, we had this conversation about millennials and would they show up um, and what were the issues that were going to motivate them. So, Marcia, let's just start with you in terms of some of the issues that we saw on the ground. What was most distressing and what do you think actually had an effect on overall turnout? So let's talk about the narrative that was in place before people went to vote. There was a lot of concern about voter intimidation. People called the 866-Hour Vote Hotline wanting to know, what do I do if someone intimidates me at the polling place? And what we found was intimidation took the form of either very aggressive electioneering. People felt as they were walking into the polling place that they were being confronted in a very aggressive way, and they felt threatened Mm -hmm. by the way partisans at the polling place were talking to them about who they should vote for. We also had instances of police 
at polling places. And as you know, in minority communities, having a police at a polling place does not engender a warm, safe feeling, mm -hmm. but concern about why the police are, are there. And we've we had to, um, particularly in Orange County, Florida, talk to the police about why having their presence there um, was intimidating and not welcomed. Mm. And um, lastly, I would say that people uh, encountered uh, poll workers who were either misinformed or po poorly trained. Right. So we have Texas, which has the voter ID law that is still in litigation. Mm -hmm. And there was confusion about how the law was to be applied, particularly mm -hmm. by poll workers mm -hmm. who were giving voters wrong information. Jessica, do you think that played a role just if you are a mom, you're coming to the polls, you're finding, you're asking questions, maybe you have your kids. Do you think that that may have affected kind of turnout or questions for people hearing some of these election admin issues? Yeah, I think it's important that we talk about all the dynamics that are dissuasive. And one thing that I think was a pronounced difference this year is looking at states where you have early voting and don't. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of key states, mm -hmm. key key states that meant, for example, Pennsylvania. I was in Pennsylvania for the last week and in the middle of the state, rough territory for Hillary supporters, but we were there and they had to vote on election day. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people I talked to are low-wage workers. Mm -hmm. They have to be at work at 9 o'clock or whatever time. So when you think about moms, when you think about people from low-income communities that don't have the flexibility, mm -hmm. that's really hard to go vote one day. So I think the intimidation in, 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 in conjunction with the lack of early voting is something I really am passionate about that we ensure that we have early days to vote. I, I couldn't have gone to help Hillary, frankly, the last week if we didn't have, have early, early voting, voting here in Washington, D.C. Right. Otherwise, right. I would have been here. Jesse, I mean, how do you think those issues, election administration specifically Specifically, um, you do a lot of work at Rock the Vote on engagement. How do you think some of those issues played into millennials turning up at the polls this election cycle? Well, there's no question, you know, even the, the worry that something might happen at the polls is enough to uh, make some low propensity voters stay home. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a troubling fact. I think, you know, the other, the other thing to recognize is, you know, millennial voters, you know, need to be engaged on issues uh, to get them fully, uh, you know, passionate and ready to vote. And that was that was something that we, you know, we had trouble doing as a country uh, this time around. So even in the face of, um, you know, voter intimidation at a historic level as we uh, elected our first black president in 2008 and again in 2012, you know, a lot of millennial voters stood up against that um, and, and used that as a challenge to make sure they were coming to the polls because they were so passionate about the issues that he represented. I, you know, I, I really, you know, it's, it's very tricky for me to weigh in here. We're a nonpartisan organization. Uh, the plurality of the 24 million millennials that showed up um, did, you know, support um, the candidate who did not win this time. But the, the fact that this campaign season felt so contentious is what uh, turned a lot of people off, um, mm. not just the candidates themselves, but the way, uh, you know, this we season played out. This election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a caller from Albuquerque. Um, caller, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. Hello. Hi. What's your um, question, sir? I have sir? a question. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask, as a 50 year old white American, how can I look another African American in the eyes again? after what happened. My second question I'd like to ask, was 9-11 worse or is 11-9 worse? Mm. And that's really all I have. 
Well, thank you so much, sir, um, for asking your question. And um, Marcia, I know you spend a lot of time thinking about issues of kind of race and access. But I mean, I I, I will quickly try to tackle that. Um, You know, listen, I think whenever we're talking about the loss of life, uh, so for me as a New Yorker, 9-11 was a horrible day. Um, But I... I, I tend to believe, and I have to in the core, and this is a horrible day for me as someone who is a very proud um, supporter of Secretary Clinton, but I would say um, I don't believe our institutions are so fragile that we can't come back from this. Right. Um, That there are great ideas that I think progressives that doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat that you can get behind. And we've seen coalitions of like minded individuals who believe in a shared vision of prosperity, get behind good ideas, whether it's criminal justice reform, whether it's trying to rebuild our infrastructure or even under George Bush's leadership in the White House in 2006, reauthorizing the Voting Rights Act. So I do believe that this is a difficult day for some, particularly if they were supporters of Secretary Clinton. But I do think that there is a way to move forward. Um, You know, we're going to go to a quick break. I can't believe our time is flying by. Uh, But when we come back, Jessica, let's get into a little bit some of your work at Mind the Gap. um, And we will continue the conversation. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall, real people. People, real life, real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you every Thursday. And if you want to join the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can also follow the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. I'm back in studio with uh, Jesse Moore, Rock the Vote, Jessica Grounds, co-founder of Project Mind the Gap, and Marcia Johnson Blanco, co-director, Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee. So before the break, Jessica, you know, we started to get into a really great conversation about women's leadership. And I don't know if our listeners may be as familiar with Mind the Gap. So why don't you kind of share some of the great work that you're doing? Yeah, so I think it's often important for us to remember that here in the United States, we're 97th in the world in women's political representation. We only represent 4.5% of women CEOs and companies. There's a dearth of us in leadership roles across sectors. Mm -hmm. This is particularly difficult for women of color. This is a dynamic that faces all of us as women. Mm -hmm. And so my work over the course of my lifetime has really been for women and particularly young women to see themselves as leaders. Oftentimes the work that has been done has been focused on the structural barriers, which Mm -hmm. are very alive and well, as we can see. But it's also about women being inspired and particularly young women seeing themselves as leaders. We often see the confidence gap starting to shrink Mm -hmm. around high school and college. Uh, With Project Mind the Gap, my work uh, with my business partner, Kristen Haffert, is 
both international and domestic, but it's about the bottom line impact that women are bringing to companies and organizations. We often look at women's leadership as this ancillary piece or, oh, this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But what we really have in research and in practice is that we have more efficiency in government. We have better solutions. We have Mm -hmm. not only the reflection of who we are as women brought to our policy, but we have more effective government. On the business side, we have the best case. We have companies are making significantly higher rate of return on revenue and and making more money. So, But companies may know that this is a problem, but they don't know how to do it. So right. at Project Mind the Gap, we're making sure they know about this research and we're helping them find solutions to advance women within their companies. So, you know, at, we're having this conversation, obviously, with the backdrop of one of the, the best, most qualified kind of women who just ran did not win what is the issue in our country with women's leadership what is it that we haven't let go of and 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 who do we think leaders are you know and marcia i want to bring you into the conversation after i let jessica kick this off um just in terms of how you have thought about the leaders that you need to move things like the reauthorization of the voting rights act and what that's meant and then jesse i'll kick a, a similar question to you but jessica why don't you lead off with that This election was difficult because we always see a gender gap, by the way, often supporting the Democratic candidate. When I say gender gap, it means that more often than not, the female vote supports uh, the Democratic candidate. We saw this again with Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. More women did support, overall, more women did support Hillary. It wasn't enough. One interesting note on this election, less women overall percentage-wise voted. And I think that's actually um, a testament to the fact that we than we typically see as an overall percentage. Um, we, need to, we need to make sure women see themselves as leaders. I think that's part of the dynamic here. I think... First of all, people vote by party before gender in this country. Mm -hmm. That said, I think many women don't see themselves as leaders. And I think part of the reason I know we talked about how 53 percent of white women voted for Donald Trump, which is um, challenging for people, I think, like me, but um, who is who is a white woman. But um, I think more than that, we also need to really think about reaching into these communities to help a lot of women see themselves in that role. I think Mm -hmm. that's a part of the dynamic that they couldn't. And again, we need to nurture leadership within women. We have to help break down structures and see them as valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think that we definitely saw, as we know, unfortunately, from this this candidate who has been now elected as our president-elect, very racist, sexist, uh, bigoted language coming out of not only him, but of mm-hmm. all their supporters. And it's been it's it's a difficult time for women. So it's the time we really have to double down to create a structural environment where they know they can be seen as leaders. Mm. And I know my, my work at Running Star, the group I, I co-founded, is really working for our young women to feel like they have a safe that space. That they can see themselves. So Marcia, and just in terms of how you bring in leaders to get behind things like a VRA fix, because we definitely needed a more diverse coalition, obviously, of voices. We needed the VRA this year. We definitely did. And, you know, it's a question of who has a voice in our democracy? How do we create a democracy for all? And what role laws like the Voting Rights Act play in that? You know, the Supreme Court said, well, there is some discrimination, but not so much that you need this important protection. Mm -hmm. But if you're in the shoes of those who, as in uh, Texas, the court says 600,000 registered voters. 
who didn't have the ID that Texas required. Or the court noted in North Carolina that the legislature there moved with surgical precision to keep African Americans and other minorities from being able to have access to the polls. You know, we need people in those chambers when these laws come up mm-hmm. <laughs> who can say, this is my experience and this is why this is needed. Because we've seen with other issues, lawmakers putting themselves in the shoes right. of those affected or having family members. And so that diversity of voice and have and accepting a policy where everyone has a voice and everyone should have access to the ballot is really important. And, you know, so, Jesse, I think this is if you are a first time voter and this is your first time really engaging, you kind of alluded to it at the beginning. But that actually turned seeing the kind of difficulty of this election season turned a number of people off. How do you reengage those millennials so they come back to come back to um, the political process and believe that there's a space for them either in elected office or just engaging in the process? Yeah, I think I think part of it is, um, of course, addressing these issues, and you know we're going to be in a fight with everyone on the phone to make sure that accessibility is a high priority for state legislators um, and local officials across the country. Um, so, so one is just letting them know that this, you know, is important. This is a fight. But the other, the other piece of this is, uh, you know, letting them know that, um, you know. <laughs> this is not always how it feels um, in general, and that that's a message. Um, you know, these millennials, a lot of these millennials don't know America, uh, you know, as adults um, without Barack Obama as their president and without um, the excitement that came with that. Um, so a lot of this will be educational for everybody that there are rough times in our democracy. There are really tough elections that uh, we've all, us older heads, have lived through. Um, but I think the key to reaching them, uh, which we really ramped up this year, is, is uh, digital engagement with content, um, with technology that lets people learn more about um, where to vote, how to vote, um, what the people who are going to be on the ballot stand for. Um, so, you know, a lot of this does have to do with engaging the, the uh, uh, officials on the ground, but we also have to look kind of internally and, you know, towards our, you know, towards funders and foundations to say, what are we doing um, to advance technology to uh, put both these messages and the power of civic engagement into the palm of young people's hands, which is, you know, where our attention is a lot of the time. So I I always try to leave on a high note because I think so many of our great Leslie Marshall listeners um, who are with me every week um, kind of look to us to to figure out a way forward. So so everybody, I'm going to ask you to give me your one minute take after the craziest election (laughs) I've ever been a part of. Um, But where do we go from here? And so, Jesse, I'm going to let you kick it off. Um, Marcia and then Jessica, you can bring us home. So, Jesse. Your one minute. Where do we go from here? Oh, actually, thirty seconds. <laughs> Jesse. All right, Marcia. Uh, I'm here. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, give us your thirty seconds. Where do we go from here? Now I got twenty seconds. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think where we go, and I'll and I'll speak for millennials right now. Where we go is um, is two our communities and you know everybody tunes in during a presidential election but the reality is there are district attorneys 
there are sheriffs, there are mayors, there are people who are making incredibly important decisions about the issues we care about most. All right, um, Marcia. <laughs> Jesse, I got to cut you off, brother, because we gotta got to keep it moving. <laughs> but so, we'll bring you back. <laughs> democracy is a long game. It's mm-hmm. not just about one election. It's about constant engagement. So people shouldn't be discouraged if they don't like the outcomes. They need to have their voice heard. I love it. Jessica. And to go off that point, culture change takes time. And mm-hmm. on that note, I think we need to be focused and strategic. That means you can care about a lot of things, but really think about where you want to dig in deep and be strategic and in, on that point, and you're going to make change happen. Thank you, Jessica, Marcia, Jesse. We did it under the wire. Inspiration. This is the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando. I'll be back. Take care and stay strong.